So I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2 to verse 9. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks, John. Do keep that open. We're going to pray as we come to God's word. I just want to read to you a couple of verses from earlier on in Philippians as we uh, commit this evening to the Lord. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So you may become blameless and pure, children of God without faults in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Father, as we listen to your word now, I ask that we might hold firmly to that word, that we would do everything without grumbling and arguing, that we too may become blameless and pure and Lord as you work in our hearts we ask that we might shine like stars against the dark backdrop of this broken world that others might be drawn to know Christ as their saviour and we pray it for his name's sake Amen Amen. Well, for those of you who've been with us uh, over the last couple of weeks you'll be familiar I think with this little summary sentence on the screen this is what Paul wants for the church in Philippi. This is why Paul sits down to pen this letter to encourage them to be selfless, humble witnesses who are focused on living for the glory of God. That's not a bad mission statement for a church, is it? Someone was to say to us what you're all about, Long Crendon Baptist Church. Well, hopefully you'd say something like this. We want to be selfless, humble witnesses who are focused on living for the glory of God. And if we're going to be that church, as we saw last week, we need to keep our focus on Christ. Remember the target over there on the wall? If you're not looking at the target, you're not going to hit the target. If we're not looking to Jesus, we're not going to live for Jesus. Because what we focus on, we end up living for. Look again at Paul's focus there in chapter 3, verse 10. Very simply, he says, I want to know Christ. 
I want to know Christ. (laughs) Paul's focus was on knowing Christ. He says exactly the same thing in chapter 3, verse 8. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness or the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you want to know Christ? Is that your focus this evening? Do you want to know Christ more deeply? Because what we focus on, we end up living for. And as we arrive in chapter 4 this evening, Paul begins to unpack for us what a life that is focused on Jesus Christ looks like. And he deals with the the real nitty-gritty of human existence, a life that is full of strained relationships, hardship, anxiety, and sinful thoughts. It's a life that we know all too well, isn't it? Not a day goes by that we don't battle in some way with some of those realities that come from being sinners living in a broken world. And Paul calls us in light of this broken reality that we see in God's word, it exposes to us the reality that we see in life. He calls us in response to pursue unity in the midst of strained relationships. He calls us to pursue joy in the midst of hardship, peace, through prayer in in the anxious situations that we face and to pursue purity in a world of sinful thoughts. And we're going to take each of those in turn as Paul addresses them here in these few verses. Firstly, I want us to think about the call to unity. Have a look down, if you would, at verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now we don't know what the prevailing issue is. We don't, we don't know what it was that was preventing these two women from standing together. But their disunity is all the more saddening given their past history. These women we read in verse three have contended, says Paul, at my side for the cause of the gospel. These aren't peripheral figures in the life of the church. These are women who stood on the front line next to the apostle Paul contending for the cause of Christ. Yet now, They're standing apart in what is a picture of painful disunity. And Paul addresses this real life issue in two ways. Firstly, you can see it there in verse 2. He pleads with them. I plead with Yoda. I plead with Syntyche. Paul, as, as an apostle, doesn't lay his apostolic credentials on the table and just say, buck up, get things sorted. He pleads with grace and with gentleness and and with earnestness, that they would be of one mind in the Lord. And in so doing, he draws them back to what he's already spoken of in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This is what he said, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, this is where our unity is found, in Christ. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and one mind. That doesn't mean we'll always agree on everything in the life of the church. Most of you have been in enough members meetings. No, that's not the case. But it does mean that we should unite around the core gospel truths, while at the same time seeking one mind in all things by the grace of God. Don Carson writes in one of his commentaries, work hard and humbly on these central issues, and in most cases, the peripheral matters will take care of themselves. 
resolve to pursue like-mindedness with other believers. This will ennoble and strengthen all sides so that you will not abandon the Christian walk. And this is Paul's plea, that these two women would be of one mind, back on the front line together, serving Christ. But if you notice, Paul does a second thing as well to address this issue, and you can see it there in verse 3. I ask you, he says, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. Now, we don't know who this companion is. Most likely, it's the individual who carried the letter to Philippi, to the church, to be read out. Maybe even Luke himself. We don't know. We're not meant to know because the Bible doesn't tell us. You see, it's not important who they are. What is important is what they do. Because their role, as you can see, is to mediate, to help these two women who are currently standing apart, to once again, to stand together. That might mean physically bringing people into the same room with a a degree of vulnerability and honestly and talking as fellow sinners together in Christ. Maybe it's just praying in the quietness of your own heart that God will be restoring some of those strained relationships which do happen within the life of the church. You see, there's different ways that we can intervene and mediate, but the point is that we are called to do something. And it's a responsibility we all bear, isn't it? It's not just for the leaders in the church, as the Lord Jesus himself makes clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who seek to bring together. Blessed are those who yearn to reconcile strained relationships within the church. Blessed are those who will fall to their knees and pray that God's people would stand together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Firstly, will we be a people who pursue unity in a world of fractured relationships? And secondly... Let's be a people who pursue joy in times of hardness. Have a look at verse 4. It's up there on the screen. Rejoice. We've sung it, haven't we, already? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. It's a prominent theme, as you may know, in the book of Philippians. It's there in chapter 1, verse 4. It's there in chapter 2, verse 7. It's there in chapter 3, verse 1. And then more emphatically than ever, it's there again in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, says Paul, (laughs) just in case you haven't got it. Rejoice. And if you think these words are easy for the Apostle Paul to say, just to write in a letter and to set it off to a a church in Philippi, then please remember, as Paul pens this letter, he's not writing, sunning himself on a beach in Borneo. He's in chains for Christ. He knows what it is more than most to suffer for Christ, yet he knows what it is to rejoice at the same time. You see, these words are dripping with real life experience. These believers aren't just hearing this in a letter. They've seen it lived out before their very eyes in the life of the apostle when he was first there in Acts chapter 16. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 16? When Paul arrived in Philippi, the crowd joined in. The attack against Paul and Silas, this is what Luke records for us, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. 
And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, in the deepest, darkest place in the dungeon, and fastened their feet in stocks. Not an ideal Saturday evening. Do you know what happened next? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, remarkable, isn't it? Were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening in. Beaten with an inch of their life, thrown onto a cold, hard floor in the pitch black, their feet put in stocks, yet they are singing praise to their Saviour. What do you think they were singing? Rock of ages, cleft for me. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light in the darkness, my strength, my song. Before the throne of God above, I have a stronger, perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Of course, he wasn't singing any of them. They were written a long time after the life of Paul, but he was singing praise to his saviour. You see, here's the point. Despite their desperate circumstances, joy was spilling out of their hearts. Why? Because their joy was not rooted in their circumstance. Their joy was rooted in their relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, if our ultimate happiness in life is rooted in our circumstances, then our life's going to go like this. Because our circumstances are going to go like this. But if our ultimate happiness is based on the unchanging reality of the loving and saving, constant saving work of Jesus Christ in our lives, then joy will reign in our hearts whatever the circumstances. And that's why Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Not some of the time, but all of the time, because God is good all of the time and his love is constant to his people all of the time. Doesn't mean we'll always be walking around with a big smirk on our face. Joy expresses itself in a whole range of different ways. But it does mean this, even in the darkest trial of life, you can know a joyful contentedness in your heart because you know Christ. And everything else is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake, Paul says, I lost all things. It matters not about those other things. If you've got Christ... And you know him as your Lord and Saviour. Pursue unity, says Paul, in a world of strained relationships. Pursue joy in the midst of deepest darkness. And thirdly, pursue peace in prayer. Have a look at verse 6 and 7, some of the, the most famous verses, no doubt, in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Do not be anxious, he says, about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that in this passage, it doesn't deny the existence of anxieties and concerns. It tells us what to do with them. You see, there are countless things that will cause concern and worry in our life, be it uh, pressures at work, exams, 
unemployment, rebellious teenagers, bereavement, undiagnosed illnesses, broken relationships, the list goes on. What are we meant to do with these things? Well, Paul tells us we know what to do with them. Verse 6, take them to the Lord in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We are called to take these things to the Lord. Every single concern within our heart to lay at the feet of our loving Saviour. As one commentator said, and these are wonderful words, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Yeah? The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. And the result is a wonderful God-given peace in verse 7, a peace which transcends all understanding, which will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, there's no promise that God will bring peace through removing the problem from your life. That's not the promise here. The problem may stay. The the, the promise is peace will come when we leave our problems with the Lord. As we sing in that lovely chorus, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege, isn't it? To carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I think it's fair to say the vast majority of unrest we feel and experience in our hearts is because we seek to deal with these things ourselves in our own strength rather than laying them at the feet of the Lord Jesus, rather than taking them to the throne of Almighty God and leaving them with him to deal with them in his way. Pursue unity, says Paul. In the midst of of strained relationships, pursue joy through all the trials of life. Pursue peace in prayer in a world that is full of anxiety. And lastly, Paul says, pursue purity. And the purity in view here is a purity of thought. Have a look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You're probably familiar with the phrase, you are what you eat, i.e. if you eat domino pizza for breakfast, lunch and dinner, it's not too long before you become physically unfit. And it is the same spiritually. If we fill our minds with unhealthy things very soon, we will become spiritually unfit. So let me ask you the question that the text demands. What are you filling your mind with? What are you dwelling upon? What are you going to think about as your head hits the pillow this evening? What do you watch on television? What do your eyes catch sight of on the internet? Healthy stuff or unhealthy stuff? See, there's a lot of Christians I know who are wrapped up in the latest series of Love Island. If you don't know what that is, then that's a good thing. I don't know much about it myself, but what I do know is it would not make Paul's list in verse 8. There's nothing noble. There's nothing pure. There is nothing lovely about it. And the same goes for so much stuff that is 
paraded before our eyes in this world. On the internet, on social media, on billboards, wherever it is, it's everywhere. Seeking to fill our minds with sinful thoughts. In contrast, Paul says, don't fill it with that stuff, that's unhealthy. It's going to lead you to spiritual unhealth. Instead, fill your minds with what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In short, let your mind dwell on the goodness of God that we find in the word of God that is centered on the Son of God. You see, one of the most helpful things I think we can do as Christians is to commit Bible truth to memory, to take just one verse each week and to carry it around with us in our head and in our hearts. And maybe you're waiting at the bus stop and you're just mulling it around in your head. You're carrying it around with you all day, every day. Stuck in a traffic jam maybe and you're going, Argh. Pray. The verse that's in your head, pray it into your heart. Pray that the reality of God's word would take hold of your life and begin to affect the way that you live. And if you do that, one verse every week for a year, we're doing it with our four-year-old and six-year-old, one verse every week for a year, it's more than doable. By this time next year, you will have 52 verses of truth written on the tablet of your heart that will keep you focused on knowing the Lord Jesus and living for his glory. Last week was challenge 35, wasn't it? Do you remember? Five blessings every day, count, count your blessings. We should be able to do at least five every day. This week it's challenge one. <laughs> A bit simpler in many ways, one verse. This week, one verse to carry around in your head and your heart, to meditate upon the truth and the promises of God's word and watch it bear fruit in your life as you become spiritually healthy and vibrant for the Lord. And you see, that's how verse 8 and verse 9 are tied together. Because the Christian who's focused on knowing Jesus doesn't just think about these things, but by the grace of God puts them into practice. And that's why Paul ends this evening where he does in verse 9 as the example, just as he imitates his Lord and his Savior, he, he puts his own life as an example before this church and he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Don't just leave it in your head. Pray it into your heart so that it will begin to affect your life and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us please to be a people who pursue unity. Lord, we live in a world where relationships are fractured, not just outside the church, but within the church as well. Lord, how we pray for, for like-mindedness, Lord, that we would seek reconciliation and peace if needed with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to be a people who pursue joy, in all the challenges and the hardships of life, however however dark the moment may feel, help us to know, Lord, that there is a constant, contented joy in knowing Christ because your love for us in him is the great unchanging reality. Father, help us to be a people who pursue peace through prayer in times of anxiety 
and concern, Lord, whatever is weighing heavy on our mind this evening. Lord, help us to be people who don't seek to deal with these things ourselves and our own strength. Help us to take them to the Lord in prayer. And Father, help us to be a people who pursue purity in a world in which we are confronted with so much that is unhelpful to our to our minds and our hearts. Help us to pursue and pray for purity of mind, purity of heart, and purity of action. And Lord, we pray that we might grow up to be a family of selfless, humble witnesses who are focused on living for the glory of God. And we pray these things for his name's sake. Amen.